what what are we certain about? And the the easiest place to start is to ask yourself, you know, what are your values? What is important to you? And then, you know, the famous why question, what's your why? And and that shouldn't change just because of what's going on in the world. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with vibrance and energy. And the Zestful Aging podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more at judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, as always, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. So let's begin. We have a wonderful interview for you today, very timely and relevant. Uh, We're going to be talking to Dr. Ginger Campbell, who's been a physician for almost 40 years, and she's, she was an early adopter into the podcasting world. She's been podcasting since 2006, and her most well-known podcast is Brain Science, which explores how recent discoveries in neuroscience are helping uh, us understand how our brain makes us human. She calls brain science the show for everyone who has a brain because it's accessible to people of all backgrounds. And she's recently published the second edition of her book, Are You Sure? The Unconscious Origins of Certainty. Welcome to the program, Ginger. Thanks, Nicole. I have my golden retriever, Rusty, right here, although he Yay. is sound asleep. <laughs> well, poor poor Sparky has not gotten his walk yet, and I've got some bad news for him because I'm playing tennis after work, so it may not happen today. We'll, we'll give him a double walk tomorrow, but yeah. I'm thrilled that you're with me today, um, and there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, I think my audience already uh, knows that I totally into brain science, totally into understanding our humanness, our emotional lives, and especially now. And uh, one thing that I know about you is you have a webinar called Embracing Uncertainty. And I'd like to start there because uh, to say people are feeling uncertain is a vast understatement. Um, I am now, as many therapists are turning people away, we just can't keep up with, uh, you know, the uh, folks that are needing some support right now. Talk to me a little bit about this webinar. 
so it really started, Nicole, as a way of saying thank you to the people who bought Are You Sure when I first released it in June. Uh, but I've decided I want to um, open it up to, to other people. The idea is, because my book is about certainty, which I know we're going to get into, um, I was talking to a listener who is going to help me do the webinar, and she was saying, well, we need to do something that's going to give something that people can t take home and use. Mm -hmm. So I got to thinking about it, and I was like, I think she thought, well, you're going to tell us how to be more certain. Oh, yeah. Really? Well, no, 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 no. You're the not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You have limits to your power, I think. <laughs> the reality, yeah, the reality is uncertainty is part of life. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, we're becoming much more aware of that reality in light of recent events. So the focus is really going to be on um, understanding, you know, why being uncertain is so uncomfortable and and the things that we tend to do to to regain certainty and they're not always healthy so my goal is to share some healthy ways to deal with this uncertainty that um is, is a part of being human I, I, uh, boy, you know, I just feel like, where do I start? There's so many questions, so many questions. But let's, would you start with uh, what you see in your patients and just your, your research, your understanding of some of the ways people try to become more certain? What are the, let's call the maladaptive ways uh, to try to bring certainty to their lives in a world which is completely upside down right now? Well, I think it's important that we back up a step and talk about why are why we want to be certain. The fact that actually it is is a, it is an adaptive response that just kind of goes crazy sometimes. Um, if you think about what would happen if you weren't able to feel sure about things, and that's the first thing I want to say when I'm talking about certainty. Uh, in the context of my book about the unconscious origins of certainty, I'm talking about the feeling of certainty. And this phrase actually comes from one of my guests, Robert Burton, who's a neurologist who's written so several wonderful books. And he was a guest on my show years ago and has been on since then. And his work really is the inspiration for, for my book. I can't say that it's totally original. It's just that I felt like his ideas were really uh, important to share. So he has this idea of um, something he calls mental sensations. And what that is, is the fact that when you feel sure about something, it, it in a way, it's like a perception or a sensation. Mm -hmm. Like um, a bodily sensation? Yeah, yeah. Well, not necessarily, although it can be. But the, the important piece of this is, let's take when we're looking at the world around us, okay? That's a visual perception. We do not have conscious control over what we see, right? Our brain does a bunch of processing and gives us this world. And of course, we naively think that the world we see is the world that's out there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, scientifically, we know that that's not true, okay? But from a functional standpoint, it's good because we are able to not bump into things and interact. And also, our brain is giving us a world that we can act in. 
it's not necessarily the world um, as it is. And let's take our dogs. Their worlds are very different from ours, right? Because their Mm -hmm. sense of smell Mm -hmm. is incredible. You know, Mm -hmm. I've noticed Rusty, when we are walking, I can tell he doesn't see people that are very far away. Um, He's going on smell. And like if I I see a rabbit in the field, I know he's not going to chase it unless it moves mm-hmm. because the way dog vision works, he has to see something move and then it'll get like his prey, attention. Like prey, the prey instinct. Right. And, and so now I understand why rabbits are so, why they like to just freeze in place because it really does work. And there was a German guy who called this the umwelt, which is, um, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, but this idea that every each creature lives in a world that is shaped by their um, visual system, I mean, sorry, their, their sensory system, just like, and another contrasting example would be, of course, the bat, which lives in a world of echolocation. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that we tend to think that things that our mind does um, is somehow like super different. But by calling this a mental sensation, what Dr. Burton is touching on is the fact that so much of what our brain does is unconscious. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you some other examples of mental sensations. Um, agency, the sense that you're in control of your body, right? That's mm-hmm. another mental sensation. And it's been shown that that is very much dependent on timing like if your body moves when you expect it to you have a sense of agency right if if i suddenly moved your arm and you're not expecting it you don't think you moved your arm because it doesn't feel like you did it Mm -hmm. okay so that's what i mean by mental sensation so why would we need to have the feeling of certainty if i'm in a world of uncertainty and the reality is humans for most part of time life is pretty uncertain Mm -hmm. but you got to make choices and I always think about my sister's college roommate who couldn't decide if she even wanted to go to the movies because apparently her mother had made all the decisions before she went away to college (laughs) for some reason that example of a the wrong (laughs) way has always stuck in my mind. So we need to make up our mind. Like we feel certain we want to be a doctor or we feel certain we want to be a psychotherapist. Um, maybe not at the beginning, but at some point we feel certain we want to do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And then we're able to act on that certainty. Um, so we need to be able to feel certain, right? Because otherwise we'd be paralyzed. I would say that the anxiety would be so great we couldn't function. Right. And it's almost like it's um, a subset of cognitive dissonance. You know, cognitive dissonance is when you believe or, you know, you're faced with a belief and then an action that you did that's like doesn't fit or two different beliefs that are contradictions. Anyways, some contradictory things that feels really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. And so people need to get rid of that right away. Um, uh, and, you know, we see in 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 confirmation bias, you know, when when somebody hears something bad about somebody that they trust, they tend to 
say, oh, that's that's not not so bad. But if they hear the same thing about somebody that they dislike, they're, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. he did it, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, they never, yeah. So, you know, our brains like a lot of, have a lot of shortcuts. But um, anyway, we, so most people feel very uncomfortable with uncertainty. And when I was talking with um, Dr. Burton, one of the things we talked about was the fact that this is um, may actually be something of a personality trait. And I know this is not an official thing, but if you think about it, there are people who we usually call them know-it-alls, right? (laughs) You know, they know everything. They're sure about everything. It's like a, you know, almost like, like I said, almost like a personality trait. And other people are okay to be with, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And most of us are sort of in the middle. So then we get here in this time now where we've got um, so much uncertainty. It's, it's almost too much for even someone who considers themselves good with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's, you know, what's going on. Um, so, you know, I can't say that I've solved this. I mean, I, I think it's a daily struggle to find, you know, a place with like, okay, how can I have some detachment um, from the things I can't control? You know, the serenity prayer. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Um, you know, how can I take a long range view that, you know, no matter how things, how bad things are now, uh, you know, they're likely to be d- at least different in the future. I can't say that that I have solved it. Um, but what I can say is that just realizing that, um, you know, wanting to be certain is a natural thing and we need to be, you know, aware of that. So you asked me originally, well, what's the maladaptive ways of being certain? Mm-hmm. Okay. The number one thing that comes to my mind is letting someone else tell you what's right and wrong, right? You have somebody else that says, well, the answer to this problem is X, Y, Z, so you don't need to worry about it. You know, some, you know, magical power is going to fix it. Don't worry about it. You know, that certainly would get rid of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. you know, but it doesn't really encourage you to do anything that is going to um, help yourself or others. I don't know, you know, how, because I'm not a psychotherapist, I don't know what the best way to deal with the, the anxiety part is, but I can say this, that I have gotten a lot of emails over the years from, from my brain science podcast, from people with various mental health challenges. And of course, my my feedback is skewed by the people because they're people that are listening to my show. But what they say is understanding how things works helps me cope. Yes. So right? there's it makes sense that to understand sort of the, the mechanics of the brain, perhaps to step back and say, of course I feel upset because brains like to feel certain. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say. So, you know, my little piece, I, I love your intro when you talk about how we're, we're doing our legacy, small or large. My little piece, which I consider brain science probably my main legacy, because one of the weirdest things about it has been I've touched more people with that show than I have as a doctor. And to me, that there's a certain irony about that, <laughs> since I became a doctor to help people. One reason I know that that show has touched people is because of the people who say, this helped me to cope. Um, people with 
parents with Alzheimer's, you know, listening to your show, you know, help me to make it through this. And I don't think I, it's not intuitive that this would make a difference to people, but it does. So that's what keeps me going. So understanding that feeling topsy-turvy, feeling anxious, feeling unmoored, to be able to say, you know, evolution uh, helped form a brain that is more comfortable with certainty than uncertainty. And that's why I'm feeling so ill at ease. Right. And one of the most um, common, I say, uh, scientific hypotheses about where did gods come from, of course, is that because early humans lived in extremely uncertain times and they didn't have any science, so they didn't know, you know, how anything worked, but they still had that same need. So they created, you know, stories, you know, the the sun god, the lightning god, all those things, because then their world, you know, was less certain in the sense that they, and then of course they create rituals to try to, to control the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so all of this makes sense, you know, from the standpoint of, of if we think about we f- how we feel ourselves uh, about, about uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say it's also sort of ironic to realize that religious op- opposition to scientific knowledge, <laughs> you know, goes way, way back. I've been thinking about Galileo recently, <laughs> um, you know, and all he wanted to do was say this, you know, <laughs> Earth went around the sun. Yeah. <laughs> And the Catholic Church really didn't like that. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So in terms of maladaptive, some of the things I've been thinking about, um, and see if this makes sense for you in your practices, people may be getting into addictive behaviors, eating disorders are really spiking, you know, that kind of thing. Like, please uh, help me figure out a way to make my world more feeling feel like it's more in control more manageable um and more knowable right now you know in my in my medical practice what i do is i do palliative medicine so Uh you know what i'm seeing is the the stress of especially families and patients being separated uh, I don't know what it's like where you are, but in, I live in Alabama where the only patients in the hospital that are allowed to have visitors are palliative care patients. I so at see. least some of our patients are allowed to have visitors. But even so, it's not, you know, the normal amount. And um, like I, I moved a patient to my palliative care unit a couple of days ago whose wife had not seen him for a month. Mm. And that's not even very long over the scheme of things. There are people who haven't seen their um, their parents who are, you know, stuck in nursing homes where they, you know, aren't allowed visitors. Uh, so that, that gets back to another thing about how our brain works, which is, you know, we're, we're wired to be social. And that's one reason why I'm sure you're seeing you, you're inundated with people suffering partly mm-hmm. from that, that, you know, missing, missing the social that's connection. That's right. That's absolutely right, since we're mammals. Yeah, but and, in, in yeah. terms of the drinking and things like that, I've seen that in my colleagues actually talking about, because this is a stressful time to be a doctor um, involved in any kind of patient care. Uh, and, and I've heard my colleagues, you know, talking about their own 
habits and reflecting on, you know, their concern. So, yeah, I mean, everybody is is dealing with that. I'm grateful that I have my dog because I live alone. And if I didn't have him, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. It's a tremendous, tremendous benefit. Hello, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a product I've been using lately for aches and pains that's really helped me, and I've been singing it from the rooftops. Some of you may already have discovered the benefits of using CBD. I have found it to be a game changer for my creaky joints. I'm a tennis player, and I have three dogs, and being active is really important to me, and we know how important it is in aging well. Well, but at age 59, my joints can be a bit stiff, uh, especially in my knees. And this stuff has really helped. So I don't have to wear a knee brace anymore, which really wasn't such a good look. I've done my research and it's very important to get the highest quality ingredients. There's a lot of junk on the market. So you have to make sure the product is tested by a third party lab at the very least. My favorite company is called Pros, P-R-O-Z-E, and they have several products that are formulated for specific problems, including sleep and mental focus. Uh, Lately, I've been using the performance gum called Yippies and the Nods, which helps me sleep and tastes very cinnamony. If you go to their website, pros.com, and enter the coupon code ZESTFUL, you're going to get 15% off. I highly recommend trying it out. I think you're really going to be surprised how effective it is, and I would love some feedback from you on how it works. Again, the website, pros, P-R-O-Z-E dot com, coupon code is zestful. Thank you. Now back to the show. So getting back to uncertainty, we, we, we talked about how people may try to make their lives more uncertain. Um, and that you, your goal with this webinar and, and some of your work is to help people deal with the uncertainty, um, in, in practical ways. Am I getting that right? Right. And, and so to think about practical things, um, I'm planning to focus on um, what kinds of practical things that we can do in terms of we need, we do seem to have the need for certainty, just like we have the need for social interaction. So just as you try to figure out ways to have social interaction in your life, because you, unless you're one of those rare people who really thrives on I mean, even introverts are talking about how they are suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and then us extroverts, it's even worse. <laughs> but I, I think maybe we need to focus on some things like, okay, what, what are we certain about? And the, the easiest place to start is to ask yourself, you know, what are your values? What is important to you? And then, you know, the famous why question, what's your why? Mm-hmm. And, and that shouldn't change just because of what's going on in the world. And then, and then maybe, you know, I think that's a good jumping off point because maybe you haven't thought about your why. Maybe you've been busy, you know, 
building your career or making money or doing whatever that everybody was doing before COVID. And now all of a sudden everything seems to be, you know, at a standstill. Um, if you had a hobby that was very socially interactive and you, you can't do that hobby anymore, now what? Is it time to try something new? In terms of the aging issue, I wanted to say that, you know, there's a couple of things we really, really know about healthy aging of our brain. Exercise, mm -hmm. right? And we also need social interaction and learning new things. Mm -hmm. So the social interaction part might be hard right now, but, you know, is there something you've been planning to, a book you've planning to read, uh, something that you've wanted to do that you didn't have time that's more of a solitary activity mm -hmm. that you've put off because most of us have, you know, those unread books mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. So we need to focus on what we can do instead of what we can't do. Just as we've all learned, uh, as we get older, we all learn that what makes life meaningful is what we can do now. I was talking to one of my younger physician colleagues yesterday about how, because we were talking, one of the patients, questions we ask our patients is, what do you need to be able to do to make life meaningful to you? Mm. And what that is changes as we get older. You know, if you told a young person that they would be as physically limited as most older people are, they would think, oh, my God, I would be miserable. Yet uh, we know the data shows that most older people are actually happier. Yes. Right. Because they're focused on the things they can do. They can, And unfortunately, some of those are really, you know, off the page right now, like being with their family. Um, people are trying to do things like FaceTime and all, and it's not quite the same. But it, still, it gets down to, you know, what's what's really important to you. Uh, do you have any follow-up questions? I imagine speaking to someone and saying, okay, we're going to focus on building in some certainty, building in some structure. What are your values? I can imagine some people looking a little askew at me saying, well, I don't know. What do you mean? Uh, are there follow-up questions to help right, them right, clarify? Right. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, for example, if, if I was a, a person like me, you know, being able to read is really important. So if I was going, if I had a vision problem, which I don't fortunately, other than needing reading glasses. But if I had a vision problem, I would be very motivated to find an alternative, you know, like mm -hmm. audiobooks or mm -hmm. a reader or something like that, because reading is important to me. Okay. Another person might choose, you know, the thing that's important to them might be something different, but that would be my example. So I'll, I'll give you the, the story behind this question. Um, if you haven't read Atul Gawande's book on being mortal. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it to everyone. It's by a Harvard surgeon, but the first half of it is really about geriatrics and the second half of it is about palliative care. Mm -hmm. First half of it's the story of his grandmother and the second half is the story of his caring for his father when his father was dying and how he learned about palliative care through that experience. My joke is that if a surgeon can do learn to do palliative care, anyone can. Uh -huh. But anyway, um, yeah. So 
he had a, a palliative care specialist who was kind of teaching him. And she told the story of how she had asked, this was a question she asked all of her patients and her father, she asked her father the question and he said, I want to, I need to, I want to be able to eat ice cream and watch football on TV. <laughs> well, she was shocked because she had never seen him do either one of those things. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so my point is you can't figure out what, you can't guess what someone else would say, but also if someone is really stumped by this question, I might say, don't think in terms of what you've been doing. Think in terms of what you haven't done. Mm. You know, what's that thing that you thought about doing, but you didn't find time for it? Um, and if you give people time, almost everybody can come up with something mm -hmm. that, you know, they've thought of that they never got time to do. Sometimes it seems like people will say, well, I used to love to, you know, draw or knit or whatever. Um, and uh, do you find that can be a helpful That's uh, a really question? good one. And that just shows you're the psychotherapist, not me. <laughs> um, I'm re I've really gotten into, you want me to t tell you what I've been doing? Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I've been doing extreme stickering. Okay. <laughs> So have you seen stickering? It's like, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, except they're stickers. Oh, um, I don't you just know. Google stickering. I mean, just look for stickering in Amazon. Is it virtual or? No, no, it's, 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 it's books like, it's like coloring books, except that you don't need any coloring. Um, basically there'll be these puzzles and then there'll be the stickers and you, you fill in the puzzle with the stickers. Oh. And the cool thing about it is you don't, usually lose very many pieces and you don't have to keep track of the pieces because they're like on these sheets of stickers until oh, you put them on. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> so, um, you, you do need a pair of tweezers, but. <laughs> okay. But I was, I was in the store, a bookstore the other day and there was a woman looking for jigsaw puzzles and she said, you know, we're really looking for jigsaw puzzles because, you know, every, uh, my kids are so, you know, bored. And so people are doing all kinds of, um, you know, things that they don't normally associate with doing regularly. So, well, like baking bread, for example. Or working in your yard. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there's lots of things. But I like what you said. Is there something you used to do? You know, I, I know you know this classic one is to ask people, what did you love when you were 10? Yeah, that's a good, I mean, I think, you know, when I think about my own development, you know, my mom was an artist, you know, I love to make stuff and I still love to make stuff. There, it's just knitting rather than, you know, whatever else, collaging or using fabric or whatever. So I think that stays pretty consistent throughout our life. You know, like some people are there, they're crafty or they like doing tactile stuff. Some people are, you know, they do different stuff, photography or whatever. And it, it seems to be consistent that they would still like it, some version of that. Right. So I say if you like jigsaw puzzles, try Try, try stickering. extreme <laughs> stickering. The name itself is is very appealing. So you're, I think you're also asking us to use a little bit of maybe creativity or imagination um, 
in, in filling in some of the gaps here that are, they're just not available to us right now. Um, so then what else can we do? What's kind of like the plan B? What else would scratch that itch or make me feel like I have choices? Yeah. And you know, when this first started, the first thing, that, the COVID thing first started, I was what came to my mind was the was the London Blitz because during the Blitz, people didn't, you know, at first they thought, oh, this will be over right away. And of course it lasted for years and they, they had to, you know, they had to adapt and they had to cope. Now, the one thing that was significantly different <laughs> was that they spent a lot of time together, right? Because at mm-hmm. night people went down into the underground and the fallout shelters so Mm -hmm. they didn't lack for the social (laughs) that you know that was probably one of the things that made that bearable yet at the same time it was a very hard time and i and you know um the british look at that time as a time that showed you know that they were you know they're very proud of how they responded to that and i think that we need to be thinking in terms of our own resilience and you know that that we can even though we've gotten awfully spoiled over you know recent years we're probably still all of us are probably still more resilient than most of us think I, do you have concerns that let's just say you know we get on top of COVID and perhaps a vaccine comes out, things get a little bit back to normal. Do you think there'll be a backlash, like a mental health backlash that we're going to have to address for people who are, um, have been somewhat traumatized by COVID and some of the other events? You know, I'm not a mental health professional, so let me emphasize that. Uh, But you know, if history is any indication, I would say that 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 answer to that has to be yes. I mean, if people can get PTSD from, you know, incidents that last much less time than this has been, mm-hmm. I think it would be unrealistic to expect that there's not going to be, you know, a subset of people that that suffer sequelae. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know whether that means that they're going to need to be innovative ways of addressing it or, you know, what the solution is, is going to be. Because aren't, I mean, we're really still struggling with what is the best way to treat PTSD. Mm-hmm. It's not like we've got that solved and we can just go, oh, let's just do, we know it's not magic pills. But that's why I think it's really important for people, um, the average person, okay, not the person who is who's got a lifelong history of mental illness or challenge who's then pushed into you know that's a whole special case but i think that we need i think the average person needs to say to themselves i am tougher than i think this is my chance to show that i am tougher than i think i grew up in a time where everything was easy and now things aren't so easy this is a test of my character and i am going to meet the challenge. I see. It's almost like giving yourself a pep talk and saying, yes, it's hard. These are the reasons it's hard. And I have some choices I can make to get through. And I will give you an example. You know, going through medical training as an intern, resident and all is hard, right? And but people get to the other side of it and they look back on it as 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 something that built their character. Of course, because they got to where they wanted to be, which was 
to be a physician. Same thing when somebody goes into the military and they have to go through basic training. It's really hard, but once they get to the other side, they say, hey, look what I did. You know, we aren't used to seeing things that affect large numbers of people in that way. That's why I point to the London Blitz as an example, because the Londoners look at that as something that they, as a group, survived and conquered. Mm -hmm. And I wish that that's the worst thing about what's going on right now is the division, because I really think if we all were pulling in the same direction, that it would really make the the mental stress a lot less. Oh, yes, I really agree. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm in upstate New York and Cuomo, Governor Cuomo did this uh, thing about New York tough or New York tough. Exactly. He's got the right idea. I thought that that was a really good way to sort of uh, feel bonded to, um, you know, other people in our state and this idea of pulling together, we're all in this together. And that makes a great difference, I think. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about how people can find out more about your webinar, Embracing Uncertainty, and and all of your other uh, uh, content. You've got, you're busy. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Everything Brain Science is at brainsciencepodcast.com. Okay. And I do have a Facebook fan page. I have a sort of more unitary website at virginiacampbellmd.com. Okay. Which contains links to, to all of my shows. Okay. I haven't posted a lot of details about the webinar yet. I am planning to do that probably in the first week of October. I'm working seven days in a row next week, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it until I have a little bit of time to focus on on that. But so I'll be having more information on the on the website. Anybody that wants to write to me, brainsciencepodcast at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it sounds like uh, you know your experience, and and I share this is that if people can understand what they can expect from their brain, it really helps um, with the anxiety and the feelings of being out of control. Knowing sort of how the brain works can be tremendously well. It's fascinating, but also. Um, I don't know, what, what word would you use uh, besides, um, I'm trying to think of a word, it's just sort of calming, I think. Gosh, you got me stumped there. Um, <laughs> it makes a difference. It makes us feel more in control, I think, to say, yeah, this is what brains do. Yeah, and, and I think it really comes down to asking yourself, you know, is this something I actually have control over? If it's something you don't have control over, um, and try, this is my, this is just sort of my life philosophy. I try, and this time is really hard because, because there's so much things we don't have control over. And as much as we may intellectually know that control is an illusion, I think that's one of the things that's making right now really hard is that the illusion of control has been completely destroyed. Mm -hmm, And we're mm -hmm. faced with the reality that this is out of our control for the most part. Mm -hmm. And, And we don't like it. Yeah, I remember reading a long time ago this idea of, you know, the illusion of control and that most things that are important to us are completely out of our control. 
that are really important to us. I can control what I'm going to make for dinner, but I can't control if my son's going to be safe or, you know, or Mm -hmm. the weather's going to be um, suitable for gardening or whatever, you know, things that are, there's just so much that we need to accept. And let's end by remembering what Viktor Frankl wrote about this, too, because when he was in the concentration camp, obviously he didn't have control over even whether he was going to survive. But what he said made it possible to cope was remembering that he did have control over how he was going to react. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I don't mean that you can will yourself not to be upset or, you know, not to feel anxious. That's not what I mean. What I mean is we can control whether we then react by uh, treating others, you know, with respect and kindness versus negative behaviors. That's the kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We can control whether we cope by getting drunk, you know, versus Mm -hmm. reading a good book. That's what we control. stickers or whatever. Yeah, that you still have choices. You still have choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. And even, and the thing about the situation in the concentration camp is that you're really looking at a situation where people's, control is totally taken away from them i mean we have we still have control of like you said you can control what you eat for dinner but if you were in a concentration Mm -hmm. camp you wouldn't even control that so at that point the only thing you do control is is how you behave toward others and how and and, you know how you behave toward what's going on Mm -hmm. Uh, but it you know that you know also that the choice is very important to our mental health i mean that's the reason why when someone's in the hospital they get so grouchy when the dietitian screws up their food because you know when you're a patient in the hospital the only thing you get to choose is what's on those little uh-huh. on your little menu thing right i see <laughs> so, so another sense. human quality is that we really really like to at least you know control what we can and when we don't have anything that's when you get to what you call i think you, the psychologists call the learned helplessness yeah yes well, I think that's a great message to acknowledge that it's a scary time, but also that there are things we still have control over and to sort of shine the light on, on those things. I agree. Oh, great. Well, thanks so much. This is such, it couldn't be more timely and relevant. Um, people wanting to find out more about Embracing Uncertainty. It's a webinar, uh, Dr. Virginia Campbell and um, and then the website is brainsciencepodcast.com it'll be in the show notes thank you so much Ginger for talking to me about your work and um, your understanding of these things that are affecting us right now thanks Nicole for having me Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. 
But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out Cope Notes dot com forward slash zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. Um, and I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.